Appearance and Reality. Finally, after 22 years and many twists and turns, Joseph and his brothers meet. We sense the drama of the moment. The last time they'd been together, the brothers planned to kill Joseph and eventually sold him as a slave. One of the reasons they did so is they were angry about his reports of his dreams. He twice dreamed that his brothers would bow down to them. To them, that sounded like hubris, excessive confidence and conceit. Hubris is usually punished by nemesis. And so it was in Joseph's case, far from being a ruler, his brothers turned him into a slave. But that turned out not to be the end of the story, but only the beginning. Unexpectedly, now, in this week's parasha, the dream has just come true. The brothers do bow down to him, their faces to the ground. Now we feel the story has reached its end. But this, too, turns out to be the beginning of another story altogether about sin, repentance, and forgiveness. Biblical stories tend to defy narrative conventions. But the reason that the story doesn't end with the brothers' meeting is that only one person present at the scene, Joseph himself, knew that it was a meeting. The terror says as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. Now, there were many reasons they didn't recognize him. They didn't know he was in Egypt. They believed he was still a slave, while the man before whom they bowed was a viceroy, besides which he looked like an Egyptian, spoke Egyptian, and had an Egyptian name, Tsofnas Paneach. Most important, though, he was wearing the uniform of an Egyptian of high rank. That had been the sign of Joseph's elevation at the hand of Pharaoh when he interpreted his dreams. We read this. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain round his neck. He made him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And the people shouted out before him, Make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. We know from Egyptian wall paintings and from archaeological discoveries like Tutankhamun's tomb how stylized and elaborate were Egyptian robes of office. Different ranks wore different clothes. Early pharaohs had two headdresses, a white one to mark the fact that they were kings of Upper Egypt and a red one to signal that they were kings of Lower Egypt. Like all uniforms, clothes told a story or was we say nowadays, made a statement. They proclaimed a person's status. Somebody dressed like the Egyptian before whom the brothers had just bowed couldn't possibly be their long-lost brother Joseph, except that it was. This seems like a minor matter, but I want in this essay to argue the opposite. It turns out to be a very major matter indeed. The first thing we need to note is that the Torah as a whole, in Genesis in particular, has a way of focusing our attention on a major theme. It presents us with recurring episodes. Robert Alter calls them type scenes. There is, for example, the theme of sibling rivalry that appears four times in Barathees, Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, and Joseph and his brothers. There's the theme that occurs three times 
uh, of the patriarch forced to leave home because of famine and then realizing he'll have to ask his wife to pretend she is his sister for fear that he'll be murdered so that she can be taken into the royal harem. And there is the theme of finding future wife at well, which also occurs three times with Rebecca, with Rachel, and with Yisro's daughter Tzipporah. The encounter between Joseph and his brothers is the fifth in a series of stories in which clothes play a major role. The first is Jacob who dresses in Esau's clothes while bringing his father a meal so he can take his brother's blessing. Second is Joseph's finely embroidered robe or coat of many colors which the brothers bring back to their father stained in blood saying that a wild animal must have seized him. Then there's the story of Tamar taking off her widow's dress, covering herself with a veil and making herself look as if she was a prostitute. The fourth is the robe Joseph leads, leaves in the hand of Potiphar's wife while escaping her attempt to seduce him. The fifth is the one in today's parasha, in which Jacob dresses Joseph as a high-ranking Egyptian with clothes of linen, a gold chain, and a royal signet ring. What all five cases have in common is that they facilitate deception. In each case, they bring about a situation in which things are not as they seem. Jacob wears Esau's clothes because he's worried his blind father will feel him and realize that the smooth skin doesn't belong to Esau but to his younger brother. In the end, it's not only the texture but also the smell of the clothes that deceives Isaac. He says, ah, Reach Bani, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field the Lord has blessed. Then there was Joseph's stained robe produced by the brothers to disguise the fact that they were responsible for Joseph's disappearance. Jacob recognized it and said, it's my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Tamar's appearance dressed as a veiled prostitute, was intended to see, deceive Judah into sleeping with her since she wanted to have a child to raise up the name of her dead husband heir. It seems that in the pre-Mosaic law of Yibum of Leverite marriage, other close relatives like a father-in-law, not just a brother-in-law, could fulfill the duty. Judah was duly deceived and only realized what had happened when three months later Tamar produced the cord and staff she'd taken from him as a pledge. Potiphar's wife used the evidence of Joseph's robe to substantiate her claim that he'd tried to rape her, a crime of which he was wholly innocent. And lastly, Joseph used the fact that his brothers didn't recognize him to set in motion a series of staged events to test whether they were still capable of selling a brother as a slave or whether they'd changed. So the five stories about garments tell a single story. Things are not necessarily as they seem. Appearances deceive. So it's with a frisson of discovery that we realize that the Hebrew word for garment, beged, is also the Hebrew word for betrayal as in Oshamnu, Bogadnu, we've been guilty, we have betrayed. Is this a mere literary conceit, a way of linking a series of otherwise unconnected stories, or is there something more fundamental at stake in the idea that garments deceive? It was 
the 19th century Jewish historian Heinrich Gretz, who pointed out a fundamental difference between other ancient cultures and Judaism. The pagan, he wrote, perceives the divine in nature through the medium of the eye, and he becomes conscious of it as something to be looked at. On the other hand, to the Jew, who conceives God as being outside of nature and prior to it, the divine manifests itself through the will and through the medium of the ear. The, the pagan beholds his God. The Jew hears him, that is, apprehends his will. And then again in the 20th century, a literary theorist called Eric Auerbach contrasted the literary style of Homer with that of the Greek Bible. In Homer's prose, in the Odyssey and the Iliad, we see the play of light on surfaces. His writing is full of visual descriptions. By contrast, biblical narrative has very few such descriptions. We don't know how tall Abraham was, or the color of Isaac's hair, or what Moses looked like. Visual details are minimal, and are present only when necessary to understand what's what follows. We're told, for example, that Joseph was good-looking, only to explain why Potiphar's wife conceived a desire for him. The key to the five stories occurs later on in Tanakh, in the biblical account of Israel's two kings. Saul looked like royalty. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was tall. He had presence. He had the bearing of a king. But he lacked self-confidence. He followed the people rather than leading them. Samuel had to rebuke him in the words, You may be small in your own eyes, but you're head of the tribes of Israel. Appearance and reality were opposites. Saul had physical, but not moral stature. The contrast with David was total. When God told Samuel to go to the father of Yishai to find Israel's next king, no one even thought of David, who was the youngest of the family. Samuel's first instinct was to choose Eliav, who, like Saul, looked the part. But God told him, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Only when we've read all these stories... Are we able to return to the first story of all in which clothes play a part? The story of Adam and Eve and the forbidden fruit, after eating which they see that they're naked, they're ashamed, and they make clothes for themselves. Now, that's a story for another occasion, but its theme should now be clear. It's about eyes and ears, about the difference between seeing and listening. Adam and Eve's sin had little to do with fruit or sex, and everything to do with the fact that they let what they saw, the beauty of the fruit, override what they'd heard, the prohibition against eating it. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. The reason they didn't recognize him is from the start, they allowed their feelings to be guided by what they saw, the kdonet pasim, the coat of many colors, that inflamed their envy of their younger brother. Judge by appearances, and you'll miss the deeper truth about situations and people. You will even miss God himself, for God can't be seen, only heard.
That's why the primary imperative in Judaism is Shema Yisrael, listen, O Israel, and why, when we say the first line of the Shema, we place our hand over our eyes so that we can't see. Appearances deceive. Clothes betray. Deep understanding, whether of God or human beings, needs the ability to listen.